right, everybody, welcome to the next edition of the Here for the Truth Side Chat. This is a, a, a side series which Erasmus and I started last year. Shorter format, more casual conversations, but amazing guests as always. And today's no different with Namakula in the house. She is a multi-talented artist born to a nutty academic Ugandan father and a feisty Jamaican mother. Her bicultural upbringing cultivated her creative and empathetic nature, fueling her curiosity to explore foreign lands, indie music, dark comedy, and comic books. After many years developing her talent in NYC, her work runs the gamut from TV, film, commercials, theater, voiceover, music, and stand-up comedy. Her quirky character can be seen in skits on Conan O'Brien, in her original web series, Kate and Kula. Notably, she was cast as understudy in the Pulitzer Prize-winning play Fairview. And of late, you can catch her in episodes of NBC's New Amsterdam, The Blacklist, and Netflix's Inventing Anna. When she's not in front of the camera, you can find her laughing and learning, playing original jams on her bass, and daydreaming amongst the trees in the sunshine with her kitty, Frankie Sinatra. But <laughs> beyond all of that, Namakula, our listeners right here might recognize you and your voice for one very particular reason. What, what would that be? I do a lot of voiceover work. Um, um, I, I guess I did a big campaign for Smirnoff. I was the brand voice. This was in the early 2000s. So they might remember Smirnoff Ice, Triple Black, Premium Malt Beverage, A Refreshing Bite. Um, and then I've done a bunch of other stuff over the years. A recent one I did was for petsandpeopletogether.org last September, which was a really um, great campaign because it was about people who have pets who might be going overseas or might be ill or need funding to pay for food or medical bills. So I was the voiceover for that. And there's some really nice spots. So I get the, I, I love the opportunity to be able to lend my voice for, to projects that resonate with me, but also that are not just about selling a product, but I have actually have some meaning and, um, sort of value to it as far as humanity goes. Yeah. So, and, and what one of those what one of those key projects is that, Nabakula? What'd you say? What are one of the key what one of those key projects? The space that you're in right now. Oh, what do you mean? Our podcast. <laughs> oh podcast. I'm sorry. Yes. The podcast. Yes. Um uh you guys were so uh I'm very proud that you asked me to do the show opener for your podcast. So that yeah. was pretty exciting. Um, so, how does it go? Do we remember? Do you remember how it goes? <laughs> You're now listening to the Here for the You're Truth. You're now podcast. listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafiti and Jerosimos. There we go. There hey. we go. I love it. <laughs> so great to have you on here. And just first of all, obviously, I've known you for so many years. I think we're going on 15 years now since we met in in uh, John Dapolito's acting class uh, and yeah, worked we were, on a play we called. The mercy seat. The mercy seat. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just wanted to have you on here and just highlight you for, you know, the journey that you've been on. And also, you know, especially over the last three years, you know, you've you've kind of stood strong to your principles and your morals. And, and you've noticed some things happening in your industry, uh, especially in the union. And you've made the decision to uh, run for local president of your union because um, I guess you're just not happy with how things have been have been run. So, I mean, we can get into that, or if you want to just talk a little bit about your 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 personal journey, you know, like what's what's led you to being this fierce human being that you are. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of it goes back to I, like you were saying, my intro, my upbringing, um, growing up in a two parents from two different countries, so I had two different cultures. Um, that I was growing up with, uh, but in an American 
So I leave the house, it'd be an American culture, but in the house, it was not American culture. So I felt there's a lot of uh, fitting in that had to go on. Um, and there was also a lot of boxes that people wanted to put me in based on how I looked rather than my life experience. So that always bothered me. And I was always very aware of that. And also I always had a diverse group of friends. So I always had friends who are just from different backgrounds, even different ages. So I don't really buy into this whole, like you're only hanging around your peers. I always feel like I can learn from somebody who's eight or who's 80. So that was how I always was. Um, and I just, when I realized not everybody had that perspective or that upbringing, it was very interesting to me. And it explained a lot about how the world is as far as how people are viewed. So I think that's where my kind of independent spirit came from, just from always kind of being the odd, like atypical. And um, I uh, I was always a creative kid. I was always very artistic and always just try different things. Um, whether I excelled at them or not is another story, but I was always open to things. And my parents never pressured us, my sisters and I, to be a certain thing. They encouraged us to be valuable people, to be educated, but it was never a thing where like said that, okay, you've got to be this way, you've got to be that way. So I was always encouraged to just kind of grow into myself. So I um, gravitated towards acting because again, that, you know, you fit into a label, but I think that even when I came to New York, um, uh, to Strasbourg at NYU, I never really totally felt like that was totally me because I, I don't think I'm just like an actor. I feel like I'm an artist ever evolving. And I'm like I said, I try different things, but that was my, my point of focus was that. And, um, studying the craft and, you know, connecting with people and being in New York city was very exciting. I feel like upon finishing my studies in school anyway, I decided that I really didn't, I wanted, if I was going to be doing something, I didn't want to be an actor waiting tables. I had done that. I worked in a hotel. I worked at restaurants. And if I was going to be somewhere, I want to be somewhere where I was learning. So I fell into an internship. Um, I was looking for a film internship, but I got an internship uh, at an editorial house that edited TV commercials. And I never knew anything about the industry. I never even thought about it. Interned there. When I was done with school, they offered me an apprenticeship and I took it. And then I did a detour for about 15 years where I was totally working in post, which is one of the best experiences ever because I learned so much about performance, writing, um, acting, um, working with ad agencies, working with these top um, production companies, directors. And I learned all these different facets of the business. So doing that for a number of years and then working my way up to editor. While I was doing that, I was always, you know, kind of writing on the side. I wrote spec scripts. I did stand-up comedy. Um, and when it got to a point where I wanted to see if I could explore like building a career in acting, I went freelance and kind of started over again. I literally went door to door with my headshot, um, met casting directors, ended up signing with a big commercial agent, um, booked a lot of stuff, voiceover on camera stuff. So it was a building from there, but I was always trying different things. But what was great about it was because I spent all those years in post, I could go into an audition room and have a completely different perspective about what was going on. Whereas other actors would go in and they'd worry about things that I knew that was out of their control. So a lot of the times when I started to make more friends in the acting world, I would say, you know, what you're thinking is not, is not what's really going on. If you look like someone's ex-wife, they're not going to cast you. Like there's a lot of things that I, because being in those rooms, I would hear these conversations. Sometimes, I mean, awful things like you, a creative might think somebody's cute and they call them for a callback, have no intention of casting them and then just bring them because they want to just screw with them. You know, I mean, there's just crazy stuff. So um, I was always able to walk in present the work, have fun and leave it in the room. I was one, was never one of those people to audition and then obsess about when the callback is, why wasn't I called? Am I going to get called? And that's, I think that's how you develop a balance. And I was always, like I said, interested in other things. So in addition to doing that, I still did some freelance editing. 
Then at some point I was, um, when I was a kid, I played the guitar and I wanted to be this big shredder. That never happened. But years later, friends who were, had a band, they needed a bassist. So then I started learning the bass and then I started playing gigs in New York City. And that was something that as a kid, I I aspired to do, but forgot about it. And it was like a dream that came around again. So I got that opportunity. So I was always kind of dipping into different areas and developing myself and growing and, and um, ex- being expansive and not allowing myself to be put in a box and say, well, you're this age, so you can't do this. Or, you know, you this is going to take a long time. So don't bother doing that. I always thought about, well, if you're alive, it's never too late. Right. So just go for it. Um, so, yeah, I was really I joined the union in 1999 um, and I was really excited. And it was really, you know, for me, like it kind of made it like you're a serious actor. You've, you're in the union, you're going out, you're being protected. You have benefits, I you know health benefits. It was really exciting. And um, I feel like as the time went by, I was seeing things about the union that I had problems with, but I would go to the meetings and I would contribute. And I, like I said, I come from a, a perspective where I had been working in advertising. So I did understand the inner working. So when, for example, SAG was complaining about, I was seeing what there were changes happening and SAG was complaining about, well, some of these, producers, they're not using, they're not using union people. And I said, well, you know what's happening? They're firing all the seasoned people. They're bringing in college people who have no experience. They're dumping five projects on them. There's no mentorship. So it's easier to go non Like, so I said, there are ways that we can combat this by getting in there. We can go in there and talk to them and explain them, maybe designate a SAG person who's their point of contact to make it easier for them to like work with union actors, but no one listened. Like, and it got fr- frustrating. And so I just noticed little things like that. And then even in the early 2000s, there was a commercial strike. And then all the clients went overseas and shot and realized, wow, we can save so much money shooting overseas. So that screwed us over. So you know, real quick, like, real quick. Can you just explain what like our audience might not know what SAG is? So can you just oh, explain? Oh, oh, the Screen Actors Guild is the union for TV film actors. So um, when you are in that union, you if you earn, you earn your way in and you you pay a fee to get in and you pay dues like any other union, but you are protected. You are, if you, if there's any kind of safety issues on a set or pay issues, you have a union that will fight for you and protect you. And if you earn a certain amount of money, you get health benefits and the benefits are really great. And there's a pension plan. So it's, it's a great union to be a part of. I mean, it was now I'm not sure what's happening with it, but um, so that was why it was great because if you do non-union work, there's no, recourse if somebody decides I'm not going to pay you on time or are you going to wait a year or I'm not paying you at all or I'm disappearing or you know the set isn't safe you know so it's a protection and I think a lot of actors you know most actors I think uh would aspire to get in the union and it opens up other doors because you know most tv shows are union films so again you're getting exposed to a, a different caliber of talent and opportunities um what was I saying <laughs> I forgot that's right uh, yeah yeah uh, no, no, like so. I guess let's just get right into it. You okay, know, yeah. you've decided to run for local yeah. president. Like, what does that mean? Uh, just running for it, and also, why are you running for it? All right, so I'm running for the uh, New York local president. Um, that gets you in those rooms to vote on making decisions that affect the union members. And what's happened is that our union, which was originally supposed to be run by members it's been infiltrated. Most of the people who are making the decisions who are in control are not actors and are part of the union. They are bureaucrats who've gotten their way, weaseled their way in there and have been literally picking apart the union, like financially, morale-wise, everything. So, so some things that really bugged me were, one of the things was with the healthcare. Uh, with the previous president, it was agreed, I don't know who, but why people would vote for this, but 
uh, people who were um, seniors who were basically not working anymore, but had maybe had lifetime careers, they would still make money from residuals of shows that they were on. So the money, like I said, you earn goes towards your health insurance. You make a certain amount of money a year, your health insurance. It was decided that all of a sudden those residuals didn't count. So you have somebody that maybe has been an actor for 50 years, is now in their late 70s or 80s, isn't working anymore, and they're they're getting health care because they're their old TV show still running. Now SAG is saying that doesn't count. That money that you know that's coming from that show that can't go towards your health care. So all these seniors were kicked off their health care. And I come from a culture where you take care of your your you take care of your elderly people. You don't put them in a nursing home. You don't discard them. So the idea that somebody thought this was okay to do, while other people who are in SAG, who I said the bureaucrats, who are making ridiculous amounts of money, six figures with no experience, is I mean, I, I, it was just reprehensible to me. So stuff like that, if you're on the board, you can have a voice in the room, you, you can vote, you can perhaps persuade other people who might be making the wrong decisions. So I feel like, like I said, all along, I would go to the meetings, I would try to have a voice, but ultimately I'm just another member there. But if you're actually on involved, if you are um, have a place on there, if you're a delegate, if you are a, a, a local president, you could have an influence and a positive influence. And that's why I'm doing this. I, um, in the past few years, what's gone on with the the mandates, not just with SAG, but in general has been a freaking nightmare. And when the first union, which is equity, which was the uh, union for the theater actors, when they implemented, okay, nobody can work unless you get a vaccine, right? And I remember hearing that, I thought, how is that possible? This isn't even... It's an experimental product that's untested, that's being pushed out by these pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer being one of them that has paid through billion dollars in criminal charges against uh, criminal charges against them, including bribing doctors. So I'm like, how are they? I was shocked. So I contacted an actress that I know who does a lot of theater. She does TV and film, but a lot of theater. I said, have you heard about this? And I was, she says, yeah, that seems like a, it would be a violation. I said, yeah, Nuremberg Code. I mean, come on. And I thought, well, maybe SAG wouldn't do it. And they didn't for a while. So um, I was feeling confident that maybe at some point there would be a reversal. But I feel like what happened was it just get, it, they, they edged closer and closer towards doing it. And I remember I contacted a friend of mine who's a lawyer, um, a personal injury lawyer. And I said, are they allowed to do something like that? I don't understand how. And he said, well, yeah, an employer. I said, well, it doesn't really make sense to me. You're going to force somebody or coerce somebody saying they can't work unless they inject themselves with something that is untested. I mean, even if it was tested, if someone doesn't want to do it, you're forcing some. So I felt like there was a lot of fear going on and people were making decisions, not out of ethics or logic, but just out of, well, this is what the TV box told me to, and this is what this person on TV says, so it must be true. So people weren't doing any research. So when my last job that I booked um, was um, 2021, and it was under the wire, it was a, it was a, online series with Amber Ruffin. It was really fun, but it was one of those things where my agent said, oh, you're you're vaccinated, right? Like in an email, like assuming. And I said, no, is that a problem? Oh, no, 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 it's fine. But I remember thinking, uh-oh, what's happening? And that so that was the last job that I booked. And then after that, that's when SAG was like, oh, right to work agreements. And they're basically saying you have to have these, um, they basically implemented agreement that said that they were imposing these mandates. And they were saying that if you wanted to work, you had to, what it was, you either had to have, they had specific brands, Pfizer, Johnson, Johnson, and Moderna, and um, 
But they were supposedly saying that they would make accommodations if somebody had a religious exemption or maybe a medical exemption. However, I think that was not true because I've never heard of anybody during this period getting an exemption at all. And what they were doing was, which is also illegal, they were within the, the language of the casting notices, they would say, you have to be vaccinated for this project, which is a violation of my, my medical privacy. You're not allowed to ask somebody what their medical history is or what they're choosing to put in their body or not put in their body. So they would find ways around it. Like for example, if you had an audition, sometimes they would say in your slate, state your name, um, city and uh, your vaccination status. And I thought, well, if someone what? does say it, yeah. They were doing that in slates? Oh yeah, There's some some castings would actually request it, but then they would say, it's okay if you're not. And I said, well, if it's okay if you're not, then why are you asking people to do it? So clearly it was a way of weeding people out. So if somebody did a slate and let's say they didn't say their status, I'm assuming they would be like, oh, well, they didn't answer. So they probably aren't to chuck them. Or if somebody says, I'm not to chuck them. So you had that happening. Um, and then you just have outright people like, you know, I'm not with my manager anymore, but like, you know, when they started, I was getting a lot of, oh, I was getting a lot of traction, getting into the rooms that I've worked for years to get into. I was booking TV commercials. I was not TV commercials. I was booking TV shows and um, making relationships with these casting directors who were calling me in for a bunch of stuff. And that all stopped because of this, you know, return to work agreement where zone A, which is for principal actors, they, they, for safety reasons, they divided the sets into zone A, B, and C. And zone A was all the principal people. So to work in zone A, you had to be vaxxed and then you had to be boosted. So it really was discriminating against people based on their medical choices and, and um, people that were submitting um, for accommodations, whether it be religious or medical, they were being denied. And a lot of doctors weren't even writing medical exemption. So people were in this situation where either I, I won't work or I will audition and I'll keep silent. And then if they hire me, then on the back end, I would say, well, you know, you have to make an accommodation and then they could choose to not, or they could choose to try to, but for the most part, only the big celebrities are the people that are able, were able to really get around this or people who had fake cards. And I wasn't going to do that because by doing a fake card, I'm in essence complying with the tyranny. And none of this would have happened if everybody stood up. Because right now, SAG is on the verge of possibly striking, right? So if everybody two years ago in SAG said, hey, I'm not doing this, we're all we're all like doing a an unofficial strike, this wouldn't be happening. So I think too many people complied. I think too many people buckled. Too many people did not do any research to find out what's going on with these products, which now it's coming out now. But this was all, the thing about these, demonic companies is that they were out in the open with this from the beginning. Like if you didn't, if you go to the site, it would say, oh, there's not stop infection or transmission, but it might lessen symptoms and keep you out of the hospital. I remember I was talking to a, a doctor friend of mine. I said, well, why are you taking this? Because it clearly said, and I pointed out to her and she agreed with me, but then she screams at me while we're on the phone, but it'll keep me from ending up in the hospital. So even a doctor is buying into this fear mongering. I said, but there's not even proof of that. They're saying it might lessen symptoms that might keep. So how about we just exercise, eat well, go outside, hang out with friends and not inject ourselves with chemicals and graphene oxide. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. How, how did this, how did this, how did this impact your like life, your financial life, you know, by, you know, not being hired or for, for standing for your principles? Um, well, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's been, it's been a, a ride. I mean, like I said, I'm very resourceful. So what happened was, um, I mean, I just, I bring it up because it's like, 
here you are, this individual that's standing for principles that has been working. I mean, you were working and then up until this moment, this decision didn't allow you to do the thing that you're trained to do and that you love to do. And of course, that's going to impact you in a negative way, because like you said, many people, uh, because of conditioning, programming, misinformation, they went along to get along. And yeah. you didn't. And that's one reason why, you know, we've stayed connected this whole time, why I have the utmost respect for you. And also why we decided to have you be the voice of our intro, because you because <laughs> you represent what we're all about. No, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I'll be frank. Um, I'm kind of on the verge of losing my apartment right now. Um, but before that happened, uh, I was, like I said, very resourceful. So um, I do other things. Um, and so I was able to book some, you know, some voiceover work, but also some other type of work, some producing work. Um, I booked a con a recruiting contract last year for a few months that enabled I I, I basically I'd gone down to um gone down to Florida for a job. I was freelancing as a cre uh, a producer creative with an ad agency. They flew us down to Miami to do an in-person presentation to a pitch to the client. And then instead of coming back up here, I did a detour to Tampa where my sister lives and basically stayed on her couch for six months. And while I was there, because just to get out of New York also, I was just like, ah, everybody's crazy here. I got to get out of here. And you and I, you know, reconnected because you're on the West Coast and I'm in New York. So we would do Zoom calls, but there weren't a lot of people physically around me that were of like mind or, you know, so that was a little strange to me because I'm like, New York City supposed to be free thinkers. It's not. So when I was down in Florida, um, I was able to book work based on my experience with like, you know, as an editor and advertising in those contacts, but I was doing some recruiting for a, an editorial house. So I was doing that for three months. So that was a regular contract that kept me busy. And then I booked a couple, some more voiceover work. But what happened was like you were saying, it was, um, I was already going down a, a hole, right? Cause that my income changed dramatically. So even those, those jobs that kept me buoyant, buoyant last year for the, you know, spring through summer, when I came back to New York in September, I wasn't booking consistent work at all. And then they extended. So then, so then this is what happened. In August, I had a conversation with the current New York local president of SAG because in September, they had an opportunity to either drop the return to work agreement or to extend it. So I wanted to get a feel on where it was going because at this point, there was information coming out. There was a, the science was out there. People, a lot of these uh, mandates were being repealed. People who had been laid off and fired were filing lawsuits. People were getting their jobs back. So things were changing. It wasn't 2020 anymore. SAG thought it was 2020. So in September, so I was talking to him in August about what do you think is going to happen in September when they have the option to extend or not? And he just assumed for a few reasons that I was on the same page as him, meaning push mandates, push mandates. So I let him talk first. And then I realized, oh, he's probably going to vote to extend this thing. So then I let him know, well, here's my stance on it. And he was kind of, he listened and he was sympathetic that, you know, what's happened with work and what's going on. But when I would talk to him about, well, if you're agreeing that, you know, this doesn't stop infection or transmission, why, it, why is this mandate still being pushed? And he's saying, well, we want to keep people safe. I said, but if you're saying it doesn't work, like I, three times I went through this and I just realized, you know what, he's just repeating what he's been told to say or what he thinks makes sense. It made no sense. So sure enough, in September, they extended the mandates again. So when I came back up from Florida in September, again, I mean, I like I had booked a voiceover campaign, but outside of that, I wasn't able to, like my bread and butter was working as a commercial actor, wasn't committed for that stuff. Um, I couldn't, like I said, I, at that point, my manager had dropped me because 
you know, whatever. So I couldn't, I mean, and even if she had, I mean, I was on ice because I couldn't get those TV film auditions. So I basically was, uh, you know, exhausting my funds. I lost my health insurance because I didn't make enough money. Um, and now uh, it's at a point where they extended, they kept extending, extending. It wasn't until May 12th of this year that they finally dropped the return to work agreement. However, any production that was already established before then, like before May 12th, they can still implement these mandates, even though they don't make any sense, even though the science keeps coming out. Um, and on top of that, there's been a culture that's been created where these produ- they, the SAG is encouraging or is saying that these producers, if they choose to implement like some sort of testing protocol or whatever, they have the option to do that. So they, so even though it's technically lifted, it's still going on in some respect. Yeah. And so to me, anything worth fighting for, it's going to be difficult. And anybody that thinks that they can just sit back and have other people do the work, they're going to end up in a, these people that complied now, there's going to be something worse down the pike and they're going to realize they should have stood up then. And even some friends of mine who I know who, who wanted to stay working and did this more than once have had some injuries or some changes in their health. And now they're thinking, oh, well, I don't want to do anymore. Well, you better hope they don't try to implement this because you doing it the first time and everybody just complying and not asking questions and just saying, well, I'm working. I don't care if you're not working. Look what's happening. Now, as a culture, we're in this weird place. You know, people were ostracized. People were blocked from working. So to answer your question, um, you just have to take it. It's impacted you. It's it's impacted you, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing. It's like, you're you weren't allowed to do the things that that you want to do and it impacted you financially and all based on again from our points of view and things are coming out misinformation and pseudoscience yeah so yeah and um i think to your point about you know i wouldn't feel right about myself because you know i could have gotten a fake card but I i wouldn't feel right about that i would feel like i am i'm just you know putting off the inevitable which is more tyranny right so I just had to make a stand and I, and I think, I hope that on some level that other people who maybe agreed, but were afraid to say something will be inspired to speak up or to stand up for themselves because you only have your help. So the idea that to get a job, I've got to, I've got to do something like that. I I always say, if I, if there's something situation like that, I always say, I'd rather dig a ditch because I can be creative. I can still do whatever. I don't need to be hired under the stipulation that I do something that is against my principles because you demand it. Well, I'm you, a- you, yeah, you love freedom. I mean, you love freedom and you want to be able to have the, the choice of what you do with your own body. I mean, if we can't have that, what are we left with? Slavery. You know? And the thing about, I'm realizing that there are a lot of people who are very comfortable being told what to do. And that's the problem. They don't want to think because then it gets tough. You know they get inconvenienced, things get uncomfortable. It's been very uncomfortable on a lot of levels for me, not only with like work and my dreams and my career and my, you know, roof over my head, but relationships with people, you know, sometimes being in situations where I'm like, oh my God, is this person going to be alive? Like, you know, like I was going through anxiety that I couldn't even really totally share. I mean, I did with you obviously, but I couldn't really share with some people because, uh, you know, they would think I'm crazy, you know? Or I would say things like, hey, don't, maybe you shouldn't, like, I would try to find ways to get information to people because you you can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't, if people want to know, they'll be open to it. But even when I would just send stuff, half the time someone wouldn't read it or, or they would, but then they would make an excuse. So they, and I just thought, 
Yeah, you can't. You, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't force yeah, it to drink, I, and that's yeah. that's the story of, of how things are. Do you yeah. have Do you have support in Namakula? Like, is there much of a collective that is as strongly minded and as strong in their convictions as you? Like, what percentage of the community you know feels that feel this feels the same way as you, or do you feel like you're kind of like in your own echo chamber a bit? Well, like I was saying, like when this happened, I think it's it is kind of a blessing because it it opened my eyes to what was really going on. And I always thought that New York was uh, a Mecca for free thinkers and independent people. And, you know, but it's not, I think there were so many, I discovered there were so many sheep here. So that's how Eurasimus and I start talking more because even though he's not close by, I'm like, Oh my God, thank God. Cause I, you know, I've known you for years. And actually when we met you, you'd just been traveling around the world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We always had interesting conversations. Um, and then we we just started talking. Then we kind of had this group that would do a Zoom call. But even during this time with the SAG people, there's a whole bunch of us that aligned in the past year and a half. And a bunch of us decided that we we're going to run for positions. So that's what's really exciting about this. I feel like I'm part of a movement because there's all these SAG people who are awake and are now running for positions um, on the on the board, local, national positions who are not only addressing this like medical freedom thing, but also addressing the corruption, you know, our pension fund, somebody um, embezzled $2 million from it. That person never went to jail. Like I'm finding out all this stuff, you know, the chief negotiator is, is secured himself over a million dollars. And then you have SAG workers who have taken pay cuts during the pandemic. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. So you have people at the top who are getting all the getting all the benefits. You know, there's cronyism. They've hired people that had no experience, no, no, in, in the positions that they're in, but they're getting six figures. And then you have people that, in SAG who can't pay their bills, can't have no health insurance, on the verge of losing their home. The kids have, you know, so um I've been able to find people um just by by virtue of just being being me, but also my radar is different. So even when I was in Florida. I'm randomly meeting people who are awake. I'm like, oh my God, thank God. You know, so I feel like there are people that I have a community, but the community isn't necessarily uh, in close proximity. A lot of them are scattered all over the place, which I'm very grateful for the internet for that reason. Got you. Yeah. Are there, um, are there like maybe bigger named actors who, you know, are like questioning the vaccine, but maybe just aren't as outspoken, but are able to slide by purely because of their status? There has um, to be. I just don't know them. Well, you I mean, personally, but you can. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people who have said, like Woody Harrelson has said some things. I mean, but, you know, uh, I would assume, like, I would assume Joaquin Phoenix, I don't know him, but based on what I know of him when he was talking about we shouldn't even be drinking milk, you know, somebody like that, I can't imagine he would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, I, I know people who are agree, but they're just silent and, and they think that, uh, you know, they don't want their families to be affected or they think that if they, you know, like I said, use a pick card, then that will keep them safe. But at some point, maybe they won't. It, it, if this happens again, which it might, the card's not going to work. They're going to find some other way. They're going to to make sure that they monitor you. So we have to nip this in the bud now. So this never happens again. And there's a lot of lawsuits that are happening too. a lot of lawsuits. Yeah, I bet there's plenty of lawsuits. There's so much stuff that's coming out right now. And um, it's just also so much beyond just like the mainstream like science that's coming out to show like, you know, there were a lot of inconsistencies 
uh, and fraudulent behavior of the last few years. I mean, there's people that are like in our world, you know, that are challenging the foundations of the allopathic system. I mean, just yesterday, uh, an event came out the end of COVID, um, which our friends Alex Zek and Mike Winter uh, co-created. And there's over 100 hours of content interviewing from every element of the last three years, every aspect of the last three years you know, where the lies were and how things were propagandized and even challenging the foundational principles of virology, you know, like there's so much that the public does not know because again, you know, you have government, you have media, you have the establishment that is determining what these people think, but also determining what doctors are learning in medical school. So it starts from the top down and most people go along to get along. And then let's say they, you know, they get a job and they're making a certain amount of money. Like, you know, to to stand up for your principles, you know, for so many people means I can't put food on the table like I used to. Maybe I have to pay for my kids school. Maybe I have a certain lifestyle and people will just go, you know, I don't want to deal with that, you know, and like I'm not like everyone has to make their own choice. But again, I just respect you for being open and honest with, you know, the choices that you've made the last few years, but also not just like having conversations about it but right now being like okay well i'm i'm connected with these other individuals in my industry that have a similar mindset what can we do about it okay because there's knowledge and then there's like taking action and you're just like hey what can we do starting at the local level and see how that shifts things you know from a policy standpoint and you know let me I, ask, I let me ask you this respect. question do you think that without the influence of a union it would have been more difficult to try and implement the, the the broader scale mandates if like all these businesses, production companies were, were independent, you know, I feel like it would have been a lot harder to try collectivize this sentiment. The, I think one of the, I want to answer that real quickly and then I want your point. I think one point too is that things start from the top down and correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, Namakula, but like projects w- wouldn't get insurance, right? If they weren't honoring like, certain protocols so that's like a lot of people would say oh our hands are tied so can you talk about that that's a good point both of you have a good point um i do believe that if everybody was independent you know there would be people that are like well i don't want to do this why should i have to do that but sag tied everybody's hands by saying well you can't use these actors unless you follow this return to work agreement but then on top of that i i one of my awake colleagues um, was saying that he was uh, working, there's a producer he was working with. The producer said to him, you know, they claim that it's up to the producers to decide whether to implement this return to work agreement. He had a production and he didn't want to implement, he didn't want to, you know, make the actors do it. And he said SAG would not greenlight it as a SAG production. So he says, forget it, then I'm going to do it as a non-union production. So I have control over how my my shoot is run. So yes, I there's definitely an agenda that's being pushed. Um, it's from the top down. And the people, uh, the SAG people that are, are trying to say that, oh, well, it's up to the producers. Actually, it's it's not. It, it's you are creating this climate. You're implementing this. And there's, um, this is a, this is the thing. If for some reason the, the union falls or splinters, they won't have any power. Like you said, Joel, it's like, but because right now everything's under that umbrella, they're controlling a lot of, how things are run. So um, I know independently, if there was a production going on and based on the information that I have, I would be fine working on it if it was um, 
you know, not requiring these mandates. Other people feel like, oh, well, SAG was protecting us. So you're both correct in the sense that there is a, a control factor going on here and it would be very different. So if the union, if something does happen and the union is no longer around, it's going to create all these splinter groups. It's going to be very interesting. It, you know, I mean, I think that right now, based on, like I said, not only with like the, the mandates, but just like questioning their negotiating strategy. Like right now, we're right now um, at 11.59 uh, Pacific time. Tonight is when um, SAG will either strike or not strike. We're in negotiations right now with every uh, with our contracts. And right now there's a Writers Guild strike. So if there is a strike right now, it's going to be very interesting. It's already been so challenging the past few years. And I think that there's going to be, if we do strike, I think there's going to be a lot of actors that are just going to go FICOR, which means FICOR means you your dues paying non-member, which means you can do, you pay your dues, but you're not allowed to vote. And there's certain perks that you don't get from being in SAG, but you're allowed to do non-SAG work without being penalized. So if we do strike, I suspect a lot of people are either going to do stuff under the wire or they're going to go FICOR or they're going to give up the SAG card completely. So it'll be an interesting 24 hours, like what happens and where things go. Why, why, why are they considering striking right now? Because the contracts that we have with the streaming, uh, the streaming uh, platforms and um, channels and, and and movie deals and things, well, here's the thing: they're being very secretive about negotiations, right? Which is also very uh, a problem. Which one of my campaigns thing policy or goals is to get rid of the get rid of the to have transparency. So the president and the chief negotiator uh, released a video some days ago, saying we're you know we're fighting for you and we're negotiating. And literally the president said, well, we can't really tell you what we're talking about. It's, it's kind of hush-hush behind closed doors. And we're, and you watch this video and like, well, why did you even release a video to tell us what's going on? And then say, you can't tell us what's going on. So who, who knows what's happening? I mean, but the point is that they're supposed to be negotiating the best deal for us. What's happened a lot with the streaming and things, the money that the deals that we have in place, the, the money is does not reflect the revenue of the shows. So they're trying to get negotiate for the best deal, but we don't know what they're doing and what they're saying for us in there. So that's why we're in a position where right now they can't come to an agreement, and that's it's going it's going to expire tonight. And then if there's no agreement, then we're supposedly going to strike. So it could happen. I feel like we're close to it, but because I don't have information, because they're not telling us stuff. I don't know what's on the table. I don't know what's proposed. I don't know if it's a horrible deal or if it's manageable or if someone's being paid off to, to strike. I don't know. It's, I don't, it's very questionable. A lot of people have lost faith in the union because of these things, which is why I, I definitely um, feel like I want to make an effort to run and get in there and, and have an honest voice and a voice of a, a working actor who has the best interest of everybody involved and not just a select few, you know, who, who are, who are running things. So yeah. What do you love about storytelling? You know, because Hollywood, you know, especially in our audience of people who go down all the rabbit holes, you know, they have their thoughts on on certain projects. And but like there's also like I love storytelling. Yeah, I can critique and I can say like, hey, like these these movies that these big studios are putting out, who knows where it's coming from? And there's a lot of propaganda about different agendas that are at play to influence people's psyches and, and behavior. So that's one side of it. But I also don't lose the other side, which is like there's such beautiful emotion and, and, and like storytelling has been around since the beginning of time yeah. and it's how we relate. It's how we connect. It's how we experience different aspects of, of life. And, um, I would just love to hear like your thoughts on that. 
I'm going to repeat what you just said. <laughs> That's okay, great. Too. Yeah, I mean, I, I always feel like, you know, with storytelling, you are taking somebody on a journey, whether it be a journey that they're familiar with or something, they, a world that they're totally never been exposed to. You are enabling somebody to connect on an emotional, intellectual level, to experience something, to have a thought, to have, to evolve in, in maybe the way they view something, to reflect on something, to learn something new, to connect, find a way to connect with other people. I mean, I think there's so much magic and beauty around you know, filmmaking and around storytelling in general, around, you know, having a conversation with somebody that maybe doesn't look like you, has a completely different background, but you have this core connection about something and then you're able to to learn new things from each other and expand as a human being. I mean, that to me is really valuable. And that as human beings, we're here to connect and I th- I believe connect, uplift and, you know, evolve, evolve, help each other evolve and support each other. And, you know, I think we're more, we're more alike than different. And I think, and I, I, and the differences I think should be celebrated and not looked upon as a negative. It's like, how can we benefit from someone's differences? How can we grow as a person? How can their differences maybe make my life better or my thinking better? So I think there's a lot of power, but like you said, also, you know, with some of the, some of the storytelling that comes out of, you know, that machine, there is definitely an agenda a lot of the times and, you know, but I think for, but for the most part, storytelling is just such a beautiful way of communicating, connecting with other people. And that's never going to go away. Like you said, it's never going to go away, whether it be a campfire stories or bedtime stories or what have you. So I'm always finding, I'm always looking for a way to find a way to connect with somebody. And circling back to the voiceover thing, I feel like that to me is such an imaginative thing because you are, it's interactive because the person hearing your voice, that's engaging their imagination. They're creating visuals based on your narration. So you're not, the only thing that you have is the the voice, the character, maybe some sound effects music that you're creating and they're painting the picture in their head that's very individual, that's very specific to them. So that to me is really uh, an amazing thing to do as well. And and it's, um, I know I really enjoy doing it and I've been doing this narration project called The Feisty Beast for like two years now with um, uh, poet Mo Phillips and she writes these great poems and they're all different and all interesting. And we collaborate on, you know, working on them. And then her husband, who's the mixer, Ian, and he does a sound design. And I feel like I really want to get involved in like sharing that more and getting involved in education, especially with all the homeschooling now with what's being exposed by what's going on in the schools. Um, I'm really excited about that. So I'm really looking into that aspect of it, of how I can get, we can get that work out there and connect with all these different people. We had, you know, a show in Australia and England, people are posting it. So I, I'm really just excited about just being able to work as an artist, no matter what, no matter what happens, I'm always going to be artistic and um, I'm always going to find a way to express myself. So, yeah. yeah. What? Thank you for that. Like what's, what's your final message to all the artists out there and maybe artists that might kind of be more aligned with, you know, the things that we talk about on this podcast and things that you're sharing, but might be keeping, you know, quiet or just artists in general. You know, what are your, what's your final message? I guess my final message would be to be true to yourself. And it might be a hard road and it might be a lonely road, but if you're not true to yourself and don't have any integrity, anything after that is, is going to have a sour taste to it. And I, I think that goes for not just artists, but anybody who does not follow their higher purpose, their higher self and does something in the meantime for ease in the end or in the future, they will regret it. And there will be no 
positive rewards. There will be they will not be they will not be rewarded for going against their themselves. You only have yourself to look at in the mirror in the end. And I feel like no matter what happens, I did the best that I could in the circumstances and I followed my gut and my integrity and I stayed true and I attracted people like you guys um, and other people who are like-minded. And I think maybe that was the whole point. Like maybe all along I've been here and I've been surrounded by false people. And now that this has happened and it's forced me to step up, it's enabled me to, for those people to fall behind and the real people to come to me. So it's an exciting time. You know, you gotta, it's a leap of faith. You don't, don't know what's going to happen, but that's part of the journey is the exciting thing about, you don't really know what's going to happen. And I look at my life, I'm like, if I had known <laughs> some things that was going to, I mean, I never would have known how, how do how did this lead to this? You just don't know until you're there and you look back and you're like, wow. So that thing, that this thing, this thing led me here. I never would have thought it would have happened that way. So I'll just be open and just be kind to yourself and just know that everything will work out the way it's supposed to. That's, that's all really, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. I mean, you're speaking our language. I mean, even just how this podcast began and our lives, like, you know, would, would this have happened if, you know, the events of 2020 didn't unfold? I don't know. Um, but, you know, when you do speak your truth uh, and you are true to yourself, that's when you attract uh, your tribe, the people that you're aligned with, you know, and everyone else, you know, they could find their tribe and who they're aligned with. And and ideally, I'd love for us to find common ground and communicate. But this is where transparency comes into play. This is where people are allowed to be exposed to all the information and they can use their minds and and, you know, and connect to themselves and discernment and decide what's right for them you know and, mm -hmm. and i think that's another huge thing that that's coming out more in the mainstream is this idea of censorship we won't get into that but just like it's like if things are being censored and if people don't take the initiative to seek out information i mean you have articles that were coming out in the mainstream media it was like don't do your own research it's dangerous oh, yeah. crazy you know and it's just like it's laughable some of this stuff you know so you know, know yourself, self-knowledge is the foundation, figure out who you are, what your gifts are, speak your truth, and then see what happens in life. You know, I'm so grateful that we've stayed connected all these years. And, and uh, I said it already a few times, but like, you know, in an industry where most people have a certain way of being or a certain industry, or maybe you're going along to get along, you know, you, you know, you are an outlier and, um, you know, kudos to you and I wish you the best with your candidacy and, and helping to bring forth change um, in, in, in your world. Thank you. No, thank you. And um, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on. I really, like I said, I really admire what you're doing. And, you know, it just shows how you guys met kind of, hey, let's do this podcast. Like it's, you just never know who you're going to meet and how it's going to happen. And when it happened and this great thing, magical thing goes on, you're like, wow, I didn't see foresee that. So it's a testament to just standing in your truth and just having that integrity in it. And you'll attract the right people. You'll attract your tribe. You know, and you might be lonely for a while, but you got to stick. I always say no company is better than bad company. Right. So I think it's I'm really excited for, you know, and I, I love watching your episodes and stuff. And it just, you know, it just it just shows that we're going to make it. We'll be OK. <laughs> it's not going to be easy, yeah. but it's I, I feel good about things. So I, I, I and I really appreciate you inviting me to be a part of it. So, yeah, of course. How yeah. can people find you, support you? Um, like um, websites, et cetera. Yeah. My website is namakula.com, N-A-M-A-K-U-L-A.com. And um, I have information also about my side candidacy and other things I'm doing. So, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, so 
I'm excited. Awesome. Namakula, so awesome to connect with you. Yes. Um, do you want to close out and thank our audience for listening and that beautiful voice of yours? <laughs> thank you all for listening to the podcast with Joel Rafiti and Erasmus. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward an evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with